So we're going to be looking at one of the greatest events of history. We're looking at meeting God. And if you're a note-taking person, you might jot this down. I believe there are three mountains where we meet God in the Bible. One is Mount Sinai. One is Mount Calvary. And one is Mount Zion, the heavenly mountain. And so we're going to actually touch on all three of those tonight as we're introducing the Ten Commandments tonight. So as we do that, you'll notice in page two of your little booklet we gave you when you came in. Anyone not have one of those, by the way? A couple here. Okay. Got two left. Okay. Yeah, um, so you'll notice on page two and page three, there's the outline of what we're talking about. Exodus 19... 16 through 21, this is the, the preliminary verses before we get to Exodus 20, which we're going to be looking at, and we're looking at the back end of this event, the giving of the Ten Commandments, um, and so we're looking at the context of this event, and then we're looking at some commentary on it from Hebrews 12, which is talking about what we're going to read about tonight. So three mountains where you, where you meet God in history, Sinai, Calvary, Zion, this is Mount Sinai, when God spoke audibly, there was mountain, the mountain trembled, there was smoke, it shook, um, people were falling down on their face. This historic event that really happened, the giving of the Ten Commandments, well, in, a, in one sense, the giving of the Ten Commandments is both historic and unhistoric, okay? The Ten Commandments have existed forever, okay? Like, they've always been in existence. These are, these are words from God, this is His will of what life is to be, and, and who He is, and so they are eternal, Unchanging, just as God is unchanging and eternal, these words from God are eternal, are eternal and unchanging. But they had a historical beginning uh, when God really spoke and gave these, and they're written down on tablets by uh, by God and Moses. And and so these ten commandments given to people like us at a mountain, we're going to read about that scene and what it looked like uh, when that happened, when the ten commandments were given, and it was a real event, and it caused a real difference, okay? And so we're looking at these Ten Commandments, and before we get there, I just want to say, don't fight the battle to get the statues of the Ten Commandments out there, okay? That's a battle I don't want to fight. I think these Ten Commandments have a much greater significance for you, for your souls. They make a real difference in the way you relate to your roommates, the way you relate to one another, the what you're going to do in life, um, these commandments, they are important. So we'll, you can, we can talk about monuments or statues or at courthouses, but let these sink into your soul. So here we go. Read, the, here, read these words with me on page two of your handout for God's word. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and the thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Took their stand. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder... Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord and look, and many of them perish. 
then we have a break. Ten Commandments are given in the next chapter. And then this is the aftermath. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And then commentary in Hebrews says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, post-Calvary to Jesus, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it should be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But to you, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but our God's word shall stand forever. Let him bless it tonight. Um, so, all right, so you notice in that first, uh, first uh, two verses there in your handout, verse 17, it says, the people came out of the camp to meet God. Now, I don't know if you've thought about it before, but what would you do if you met God, okay? There's an old um, song in evangelical Christian culture or maybe Catholic culture too, I don't know, but like there's a song called I Can Only Imagine, okay? Have you ever heard this song? I can Only Imagine. What are we like? Would I stand there before him? Would I dance and praise? Would I fall down on my, on my knees? What would it be like? Well, here's a historical reality, a real thing that happened, as real as our ski trip two weeks or last week where we went to a real mountain. It did not shake. Um, I can only imagine seeing a mountain shake before me. Um, I shook falling down the mountain on a triple black diamond, which I'll tell you about later. Um, but that was amazing, but this is even more amazing than my expertise on skiing or yours either. Um, what happened here is they, they fell down on their face. They were terrified. They, there was thunder. There was loud, just loud noises, uh, like, things like a trumpet blast. I mean, they, don't, they didn't have noises like we, like, the, as much as they could understand, a trumpet blast is what it sounded like, or thunder, okay, and there's smoke. This is what meeting God was like for them. They were trembling with fear, terrified, and they called God a consuming fire. That was what it was like to meet God. So we're looking at kind of who this God is, okay? He's the one first that brings the thunder rolling, okay? Can y'all read that up there? That's very small, isn't it? 
Okay, thunder rolling. We gotta make. We gotta up our game next week and get a little bigger font. I think. But the as appropriate as the God of thunder. Okay, I mean like he's thundering. His words are thundering forth. Okay, the thunder rolls. The Ten Commandments. People were afraid. Okay, people were afraid. They said, "Don't speak to us lest we die." God speaks, not that not to terrify you, but that you may not sin. To, to, and so many of you might think of God as maybe a cranky little guy in the sky who doesn't want you to have any fun. Cranky, um, just kind of ratchety old man. Um, that's not what God's like. Um, he wants you to know that he's holy. And if you ever saw him or heard him, you would know that, that it's not a matter of him being cranky. It's that he's utterly different than you are in his holiness. Holiness is what he's after. He's, he's speaking to you that you may not sin. That, that you might learn. And, and so, you know, these guys are saying they beg that no further words would be spoken. Uh, this, this mountain that could not be touched. Um, so, so the first point is this, that that's the thing about the God of the Bible, is that he's holy, okay? Uh, if you under, and, and, the, and the law is going to show us that he's holy, um, if you look at you know, ways in, in the world to distinguish Christianity from other religions, um, it's this. Um, you think of Islam. The law was given to man to test him. Um, and so the way Allah molded that law, it bears witness to the fact that he who cleanses himself from impiety shall succeed, but he who fails shall be doomed. That's what the Islam says. You cleanse yourself from impiety and to succeed, but he who fails shall be doomed. And that's not just Islam. That's our default mode of Christianity, that if we do the law, we will succeed, but if we fail at it, we will fail. If I do right, I'm good. If I do wrong, I'm bad. And that view of the law is antithetical to Christianity. Um, it's not our law keeping that brings us up. Um, it's not ours. Um, but the inertia of the law, of our hearts actually, when we look at the law, pulls us to misunderstanding the Ten Commandments. Okay, that's not what they're about. They're not, they're not the way for us to work our way into good graces or to fall from good grace with God. Okay, and so ignorance of the, of the Ten Commandments, I would say, is at the bottom of all of our mistakes in life. All of them, our religious mistakes, our irreligious mistakes, misunderstanding that one point is everything. Uh, that the law is not about really our getting our way to God, but it's helping us to know who God is. Holiness, Ten Commandments. Okay, what, did God, what is God like? Um, so there's, there's terror in the law for us all of our days. Just driving home, just driving the 15-passenger van home through Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, and into Oklahoma again. Driving it, you know, I, I had that, you know, that, that moment of terror when you see a state trooper on the side of the road and you slam on the brakes and then everybody who's sleeping in the back flies forward, okay? Because I'm terrified that I'm going to cause a ticket for myself and I'm terrified of the law. I'm just, I am. Uh, lawyers, law, um, all of us. We don't like law. You, don't, you see the police car, you, you stop. Um, you go see the dean, you're worried, and you get graded. You know, your professors, we all have authority issues, okay? And we default to feeling like we have to prove ourselves all the time or be right. And so law terrifies us. But that's not, that's not what it's called to do. 
necessarily here um, is to, for us to feel like we have to justify ourselves. It's, called, it's calling us to think of something much higher, not ourselves, but who God is, which will which inform us of who we are. So God thunders, he smokes, he, he, he fires, and then the camera pans down, everyone's falling on their faces. They've seen themselves in God's law. And I believe we have missed it all if we, if we haven't seen this. The blasting trumpet. Um, what does the blasting trumpet have to say? Well, God, God's coming in judgment. Um, like God in the Garden of, of, of Eden, uh, when, when he came, there was a sound uh, that, 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 that came with God. You see that in Ezekiel as well. A day of reckoning has come. There's, whole, there's terrifying feeling of being in the presence of God and his holiness when we're unholy. And so if we're to go to, God, if we're to, go to Mount Sinai today, um, that's the place to go right now. Not when you die. Not when you die, you need to go to Mount Sinai. You need to go there today so you know who God is and you know who you are and you can find Jesus. Um, I, would, I would argue that hell is actually God's thunder. It's his coming in judgment, okay? Hell is God's thunder. Um, we don't want to die before we see God's thunder. We want to encounter it now, know what it's like. And that's why I'm, I believe modern people hate that view of God or that picture of God that he's thunderous and he's judging. Um, but of course, God didn't, didn't bring this judgment in order to whip his people into submission, to treat them, to make them all meek and submit, um, submissing to him. No, he wants them to see that their laws are tied up in their existence. Um, and to go against them is to go against the design of ourselves. And we're going to look at that immensely this semester. It's the intro, but we're looking at how if we do God's law, we're actually going and flourishing according to our design. And I don't know what it is, but like, we just naturally don't go according to our design. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to relate to a baby, uh, but babies do not do what they're supposed to do. My children still do not eat food that is right for them. They, they, I mean, like, they don't do it. Um, babies you know, get into all kinds of trouble. Um, just, just I read a story the other day about a, a, a little girl who fell into this hole it was, and landed in almost five feet of, of you know, excrement. She fell into a, a, a septic tank and was drowning in it. Uh, the three people saw this happen and rescued her. They pulled her out by her hair, and she was unconscious. They gave her CPR and rescued her. We're all getting into trouble. We're all going against our design. That's a, that's a gross example. But um, when, you, when you go against your design, which is falling into excrement, you die. Okay, like you, you, I mean, like we leave the, our, our way. And so one sort of humorous example of this, um, y'all know who Will Smith is, right? Yeah, okay. You're too young for this, mind you. But he used to not be Will Smith. He used to be Who? Fresh Prince, yeah, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Before he had the TV show, he was just another rapper, you know. He's just another MC. okay. So I'm hip with the words, you know, that y'all use today. Um, Will Smith, or the Fresh Prince, he came out with a few songs, and he got rolling in the second album. They used to have albums back in the day, you know, you go buy at the store before iTunes. And, uh, okay, so he had one song, which you can probably go on iTunes and get, which is called, I Think I Can Beat Mike Tyson, okay. You ever heard this? I think I can beat Mike Tyson. Y'all still know who Mike Tyson is because of the hangover, okay? But before the hangover, Mike Tyson used to be an extraordinarily good boxer, okay? He was undefeated. He would knock people out in less than 90 seconds. He was the strongest and baddest man alive, Mike Tyson. And so Will Smith wrote this song called I Think I Can Beat Mike Tyson, okay? Now, at the beginning of this song, let me just you know, kind of quote a little bit to you. There's these old men in the barbershop, and they're saying... 
Leroy, Leroy. I seen him hit this boy and he hit the boy so hard his head flew off into the 18th row. And they start laughing. And they said they had, to, they had to get his head out of the 18th row and stick it back on him because he got hit by Mike Tyson. Now, Will Smith sees the highlights on TV and is like, DJ Jazzy Jeff, I think I can beat Mike Tyson. So they start training. He's working out like Mike Tyson. And then, then, you see, then you see it's the fight night, and they're there, and Will Smith's you know, going, going at it. Mike Tyson in the other corner. Well, he, 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 I'm going to quote it exactly as he says it. I came out hustling, sliding and grabbing, slipping and dipping, hustling and jabbing. For a second, I looked good out there, but then Mike brought to reality my worst nightmare. One punch, that's all it took. Ooh, he hit me in the ribs, and my inside shook. Now, how can I say this and be a little discreet? Let's just say that my bowels released. I called a timeout and went back to my corner, said to my coach, ain't no way I'm going the hell back out there, man. You can forget it. My body's like a punching bag, and Mike is going to hit it. Okay, so... <laughs> they just, yeah, they just, yeah, thank you, thank you. In my other life, I was an 80s rapper. Uh, so, um, now, Fresh Prince goes back to his camp, he leaves, he's out of there, one punch, he's gone, okay? Now, I would argue that Will Smith did not know Mike Tyson until he was hit by Mike Tyson, okay? You can say you know, but until you're hit by Mike Tyson, you don't know reality. These people were hit by the reality of God, okay? Um, you have not met God until, you, until you've actually wanted to get away from him. Until, and you've actually tried to run from God, you don't know him. Okay, that's, that's, that's what I'm, I'm arguing here. These people find that his presence is intimidating. He's holy, we're not. No one entered into God's presence and remained comfortable and had a peaceful, easy feeling. Until you've been shocked that God expects something that you can't give him, you're never going to escape your self-destructive ways. Okay, and that's got to jar you before you can ever change. He's not, he's not cranky, he's holy, he's different than you. And it, up, and it upsets you. You don't know how to relate to him, okay? And so what he does is when you become unsettled with him, you start to look for something, okay? Now, you can, you can, you can look for something within yourself, okay? Something that you have the power to manifest, which could be religious behavior. You can work really hard at being good, or you can go to irreligious behavior to sort of run from that God, which would be, you know, um, getting drunk, you know, creating, uh, you know, being the best at beer pong. Okay, like that's, a, that's an irreligious uh, thing you can do. Now they actually have uh, not beer pong, but beer hockey, okay, which is, yeah, I know, it's, it's, a, new, it's a new thing, so don't look it up. Um, okay, um, yeah, so it involves an air hockey table. So, um, okay, so you can get really good and creative at being irreligious, okay? But both of them were, were, were running from God. Now, what we really need is a lawyer. We need somebody to go on our behalf. And so what happens here is the holy thundering one himself it becomes our lawyer. Now, what does a lawyer do? Um, Leslie, you can answer this because you're studying for the LSAT, right? What's a good lawyer do? He moderates between two parties. He moderates, okay? And so he, he explains to you the law he explains the judge to you, and, and he explains you to the judge. So he not only knows the judge, but he knows you. And Jesus is this. He's the lawyer and the judge, and so he's better than Moses. Immediately they were saying, oh, go talk to God for us, Moses. You go speak to him because we're terrified. They immediately started looking for some way to approach God because they couldn't do it. 
So, so Jesus is that way we can approach God. He hires himself as both the lawyer and the judge. His son, that is, the thundering voice, Jesus. Okay, so Jesus comes to us as our perfect lawyer. He's a lawyer with a case. And so I want you to know that if you have faith in Jesus, here's what happens. His law is not the thing that condemns you or terrifies you anymore. It's the thing that saves you. Okay, now I want to unpack that for you just a second here. Um, you're, you're, you know, if you're in Christ, if you're trusting in him, you're justified, you're righteous. The law has been fulfilled for you. And so it says um, that if, you know, you deserve to die, but here what happened is Jesus died and his blood is for you. If you're trusting in Jesus, that's what, that's what it means. And so what happens is like Jesus takes your death that you deserve and he gives you his life. That's his payment. And so it would be unjust for him to demand two payments for your sin if you're in Jesus. It's already been paid. Okay, the law, all of it's been reckoned upon Jesus. And so you don't, there's no more payment for you if you're looking to Jesus. Okay, if you, but on the other hand, if you have faith in yourself, your law keeping, you're terrified all the time. You're running. You're punching the gut and looking for something to do to make yourself better, to improve. But you've got confidence if your faith is in Jesus because the law, in fact, is your confidence. Jesus kept it all. So there's a great reversal that happens when you come put faith in Jesus or when you're today having to put faith in Jesus. We always have to reckon this every day. Is, is, our, is our life built upon my law keeping or Jesus' law keeping? So keeping the Ten Commandments actually saves you. Not your keeping the Ten Commandments, but Jesus' keeping the commandments. He's the lawyer who brings the case and says, He's mine or she's mine. You've got to pardon her because of what I've done for him or her. So the law that used to now condemn you saves you. It's a great reversal. Um, it's amazing. I wish I could, could tie that in with Mike Tyson, but there's no, there's no way to do that. There's nothing in this world that truly shows you that vicarious atonement for you that Jesus accomplished. Everything in life is a work hard, train real hard, and get what we deserve this is not it. Um, this is not according to works. This is according to grace. But the grace involves law, that Jesus kept this law. So when you look at this law, you're, there's going to be times this semester we're going to be terrified. Like, I can't do that. But Jesus did that for me. He kept that law for me. When God looks at your, your lying record or your adultery or lust record, he sees Jesus's on your behalf. And that's actually, I'm going to argue, is going to be the thing that's going to help you to really get better is trusting in him a little more. Um, so finally, let's look at just four little points at the end, and we'll, we'll close it. Um, you and the Ten Commandments. Um, four ways to look at the Ten Commandments on your handout. The Ten Commandments are like a portrait of God. We mentioned this today. We, we see him when we look at the Ten Commandments. We see what he's like. Um, we, he values bearing the truth. Um, he's truthful. Um, he, bear, he, 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 he values faithfulness. He's faithful. Um, all those kind of things we can look at God and see. Secondly, the Ten Commandments are a map that shows you where to go. Um, so what does that mean? Well, let me just flesh it out for you. Here's the road map. But it's, it's like, so anything not mentioned there, God gives you the freedom to pursue in human wisdom. Okay? You've got some broad parameters. You've got a fence to keep you safe. And you've got all kinds of creativity within that fence to do as, as human wisdom demands. So he doesn't tell you when to get married. Some of you need to get married in college. Some of you don't. Um, 
There was a good article in the paper about that today. Um, some of you uh, need to use wisdom um, to know who to marry. And so there's the kind of marriage you ought to have and what kind of spouse you ought to look for. That's in the Bible. But who you choose, um, that's a human, human wisdom issue. But there's a map to help you to go. Third, the Ten Commandments are a mirror. Um, in, in fact, you, in, as a mirror, what's a mirror help you to do? It helps you to know what you look like. And so the Ten Commandments are to help you to see who you are. You can't know yourself unless you find yourself in God's law. And we'll unpack that this semester also. Finally and fourthly, the Ten Commandments are like an x-ray machine. And this is going to be a prime thing it's going to do for you this semester. An x-ray, of course, will show you where the break is, what's going on, MRIs. Um, they show you what's wrong. But the big deal is they don't do a thing to fix it. No x-ray machine or MIR has ever saved anybody or helped you. Um, what happens is there's medicine, there's, there's um, physical therapy, there's, there's things that will help you, but the law is not the thing that's going to fix you. Uh, it's turning from Mount Sinai and looking at yourself and seeing what's wrong and turning to Mount Calvary, uh, where Jesus was crucified uh, for you. Only then can you start to see yourself, see that you actually truly matter to God, not based on what you can offer to him, but what he's, his love in you. He loves you in spite of you. He loves you for you, not what you can bring to him. Okay, and so that's, that's, what the, that's really what the cross is. While you're yet sinners, Jesus shows God's love and that he died for you at Mount Calvary. That's a better look at God's love for you than looking at Mount Sinai. Um, you, go, you turn from Mount Sinai to Mount Calvary, okay? Um, only in light of the cross are you really going to know yourself. And so this is going to, as we're studying this, this epic event of the giving of the Ten Commandments, the ethics of Christianity and of the world, um, only in light of looking to the cross are we going to see who we are, who God is, and he loves us. Um, so that's where we're going this semester. I hope you'll join me and us with and looking at it and... May God bless it. Let's pray before we end it. Um, Father in heaven, um, I, I truly pray that we get better at obeying this semester, uh, obeying these, these words that you've given the 10 words here in Exodus 20 um, to your people. Um, but I pray, Lord, that we also get better at believing, uh, most importantly, that, that what Jesus did is for, for me and, and for all of us that trust in him, that 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 this cross might be for us, uh, where you live that life of 30-some-odd years of obedience to this law. You're born under it, Jesus, and you lived it for people like me who couldn't do it, and you give us life. And so as we look to the cross every week, would you uh, in, in, uh, capture our hearts? Would you empower us? Even tonight, would you help us to see uh, your grace, uh, like we've never seen. May that be actually the punch in the gut that we did not expect. May your grace bring us to our knees in worship and reverence and fear of you and, and admiration of you and, and joy in your presence. May you do that tonight and, and forevermore. Uh, Lord, uh, invite us to, uh, to life with you, to your presence, and may we forever be changed. And we'll, we'll give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.